Bowman on the Totem Pole Podcast. We're your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you onto your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer and resume revamping enthusiast, Katie McDonald. And joining me is your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and compassionate reality checker, Heather MacArthur. Hello. Hello. Another another wonderful week to discuss the fabulous topic of work. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, compassionate reality checker. I, I love that one. I try to be compassionate, but I'm not going to sugarcoat anything because I feel like we don't have the time to waste on that. But um, when I'm compassionate, it's really about, I just, I really want people to find their purpose and, and figure out what it is that they want to do and be able to make a living at it or maybe more. Um, I, I wanted to bring up this week today to talk about this topic of purpose. And in my book, I call it the, the pyramid of purpose or your purpose on the planet, but the pop. And um, I, to me, it's how everything should align. So if someone comes to me and says, how do I get a promotion or how do I get a raise or uh, what's the next career for me? My main thing is I want to know what you're up to in life. And um, when I think of that, it's simple, you know, simple but deep questions like you're 105. It's your last day on earth. What do you want to be able to say about your life? And, you know, people are usually taken aback. Like that's kind of a that's a deep topic. But I feel like what you do for a living sucks up so much of your time. You should be having deep questions. I love uh, that. That's a conversation we've had. The, uh, the the deathbed regrets, avoiding those deathbed regrets. I know it's kind of a sad way of looking at it, but it's, uh, I mean, it's completely <laughs> relevant. It puts everything into perspective. I love that. I've said, you know, goodbye to some, some loved ones. And I know for a fact they they regret that they didn't do certain things. And, you know, I always hear people say like, oh, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to wish that you spent more time at work. And I was like, I don't know if I agree because to me, the work that I'm doing really feeds my purpose. So right? I, I, love have, it. Yeah. I, I have a different, well, and I, and I think you can love it and it doesn't have to be your life, but I love it. And it's, it's a major part. So that's why I like thinking of it as a pyramid. Mm-hmm. And what I say is like the top of that pyramid is the one little stone that's like unique and that's your purpose. And it's intangible. Like I want to help people be them, be their themselves and be able to demonstrate their talents and make a living out of that. That's intangible. Um, other people might say they want to be a great parent or they want to travel the world or they want to see whatever. All those things are great purposes. And then the bricks that make it make up that that pyramid should serve that purpose. And some of them serve it by being really tied closely to it. So for me, my work brick really high up there. Um, but my family bricks and my friendship bricks, they're, they're more of what I would consider the foundation or the bottom row of my pyramid. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't matter to me. They do a lot. Like, I can't, I can't do any of what I do without the love and support that I've gotten from friends and family. But they don't get as much of my time as work does. And that, that's not me with an, an unbalanced work-life balance type of situation. That's an alignment with what my purpose is. And the friends and family who get it support that alignment. Just like I get some of my friends have family and their children as their top bricks and friends as their support function. So I absolutely get their, their kids are going to get more time from, from them than I might. But I don't think that means they don't love me as much or that I don't matter to them. That's not the case. It's just their life is structured differently than mine. Um, I've, have, I've got a friend who his whole thing is wanting to travel and see the world. His job is simply the paycheck and vacation time frame and stability to feed that. 
So his his work brick is down on the bottom. It's the foundation. But he's great at his job. They love him there. But he's not going to make he's going to make certain decisions in his career to make sure that his vacation time stays freed up. Wow. Okay. So his job, like the, the, the bottom part of your pyramid that you're talking about, like you said, it's not that they're the, the lowest importance, but they are foundational. They're the thing that, not that I, I hesitate to say take for granted. I don't I, it, take for granted has a negative connotation, but it's something that you can depend on and, and provides you a lot more stability to kind of support the higher rungs. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, they're they're the most in danger for being taken for granted because they don't get all your focus, they don't get all your energy. So I, I think it's important to call that out. Is if you treat them as if they're less than or not as important, you're not going to have that foundation for very long. You know, I look at it as like if you look at that pyramid, if there were three rows of bricks, your level one row, which is is down on the bottom, is that foundation that honestly feeds you, gives you a lot of energy um, okay, and support, okay. and so, like I said, my friends and family are critical to me, um, but I can't, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not giving me advice on how to coach people or write books or, you know, any of that. They just, they just cheer me on and they, they're there when I'm stressed and I show up for them as much as I can. Um, then level two is kind of what I call the bridge of bricks where it's, you get a lot of satisfaction out of it and it gives you some fuel and it also feeds what you're capable of. So I, you know, for me, that's, education, that's travel, um, that's, that's vacation. Cause I get exposed to different cultures. And then my, my level three, which is right up there, right next to the top of the pyramid. That's that, that's stuff that really feeds in whether or not you meet your purpose or not. And that's my work brick and my money brick are right up there. The more money I make, the more I can volunteer and help people who don't have access to resources in terms of job employment, um, assistance. So, you know, but not everybody's the same. So when someone says to me, like, well, I want to make more money, I'm like, great, what's your purpose? Mm-hmm. How does the money brick fit into that? And the further up it is, so in level level three, that's right up there by the top of the pyramid, that's also where you take more risks. Like, I don't take risks with my friends and family. I'm very selective about who, who I bring into my circle because I get that I'm not meant for everybody. And two, I, I, I end up saying that a lot at work too. You know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. No, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not digestible by every, I'm like gluten. I'm only good for certain, certain people when it comes to friendships. <laughs> and I, and I get it. You have to be really like Heather and Heather savvy and capable uh, because I'm not available all the time. I don't have tons of time to dedicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes personal relationships. And, and I've been blessed with people who, who support me that way and they get it and they don't see it as me neglecting them because they understand what my purpose is. But if I just was at work and I didn't have a purpose, then it would feel like I just was ignoring them. Um, but I look for, you know, where's that money brick? So for me, my money brick is up there and not like, look, I like to shop, but like the money bricks, not up there just because of the lifestyle that I want to live. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but because the more money I make, the more people I can help. And so it's really up there on a high level. And so because of that, I will take more risks. I will invest more time. I will try different things with the stuff that's at level three that's connected. So the things that I've done with my career, I've tried different things. I've, I've taken risks that weren't sure if it was going to pay off, but because I had to be more creative with it. Whereas the stuff on the bottom row or in the middle row, it's less risky. Uh, it's less experimental. Um, and I don't push as hard in those areas because I see those areas as like supporting me 
uh, versus feeding the purpose as directly. Right. They're foundational. That is such an interesting point about money, too, because it's the the money itself is not the end goal that is not your cap to you in in the scenario that you're describing in your pop in your pyramid of purpose money sounds like it represents opportunities that that it allows you so it's not yeah, about I mean, honestly, the those, dollars yeah it's never your pyramid of purpose like that top of the pyramid i've never met anyone where the, their top of the pyramid was money it's always mm-hmm. what can they do with the money it's always one level up from that um, their job is never their purpose. It's what does that job enable them to be or do? And uh, so it's always a brick. Money's always a brick. And you could take whoever, you know, the greediest person out there, and I guarantee you they're using that money for something else. They might be trading it for power. Uh, they might use it for popularity. But it's always this intangible thing that you're purchasing. If you can't purchase anything with the money, then it's useless. So that means it's replaceable. It's a brick. Um, I, I am going to push back on that. You can swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. Uh, <laughs> You're still purchasing pleasure. It's still pleasure. And it, it, it's still a vehicle for pleasure. You're right. <laughs> it's unhygienic like nobody's business. But if you, if you want to do that, by all means, I wish Scrooge would wear pants if he did that. But that's, oh. that's a whole other animator situation. But um <laughs> I had one guy that was like, my friends wouldn't know. And even if I couldn't spend it, I would bring my friends around and show them. I'm like, well, you're buying popularity. Like you're still, even if I would never spend it, you're buying security. Like there's something intangible that you purchase with it, or it's just a lump of used up trees that you killed Hmm. and it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. So it's always a brick. Your work is always a brick. And that's, I see some people who get so latched onto a company and then they they either retire or they get laid off and they, they just kind of lost themselves. I'm like, it was never about the company. It was it fed something. You just got to reconnect with what that purpose was. And everybody's got one. And it doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to be trying to be Mother Teresa and, and you know, feed everybody who's hungry. It could just simply be I want to enjoy life as much as I can. Awesome. Like you can do that in any way, shape or form that you see fit. But you're the one that determines that. And I think like. You know, the money thing is such an interesting brick to talk about because, you know, there's so much stuff out there about career. We'll continue to talking about that. But I feel like the money one, especially when it comes to people's jobs, there's this kind of sense of entitlement that we've been trained on is if you do a good job, you're entitled to good pay. And I, I just think we've lost a little bit about the spirit of what capitalism actually is. It's all supply and demand. So you've got to value what you bring, but you've got to get others to value it and want to pay your asking price. And as an employee, you've got to be able to feel comfortable talking about what services you provide, what you think it should make on the market based on what's available, what's not available, and why someone should have to pay more than what they're currently paying or pay it at all. And And then, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, that's so, that's fascinating because the way you're, the way you're describing it in, ironically, in order to make sure that you are being valued as an employee and getting what you are worth as part of this uh, part of the agreement to work for the company that you happen to be working for, you have to almost take the magic out of the money. Money is not this magical talisman that you can't talk about because it's verboten or, um, you know, oh, I, I can never be worth this many specific dollars because these, this dollar amount has some magical property to me. So kind of demystifying the concept. It, it sounds like you're talking about demystifying the concept of money a little bit in order to be more comfortable talking about it. I mean, you have to. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just surprised at how many. 
I think first off, you have to get that it's money and it's separate from you. And mm-hmm. so people kind of go, well, I, you know, like, am I worth this much? You're priceless. Like when I remember I had a manager who came in and said, I am giving you uh, a, a 2% raise and kind of did it. And I, I, and I respect the fact that she was, she really was really proud that she was able to negotiate me a raise at a time where no one was getting money, but she was kind of handing it to me like the gift upon all gifts. Hmm. And in my head, I'm like, look, you're getting me on discount no matter what. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I am priceless as a human. I'm priceless. Whether or not you need my services, that's completely different. Whether or not my services are hard or easy to come by from other people Mm -hmm. that changes whether or not I can charge. Like I always say, I think teachers and firefighters should make way more than professional baseball players. But here's the deal. For whatever reason, people love watching extremely talented baseball players and will pay top dollar. For whatever reason, they will not pay top dollar for teachers. And I think because there is more supply of teachers, whether we, we, we feel like they're all great teachers or not, and there's more supply of firefighters, and they see it as, well, we can train someone to be sufficient as a firefighter, which I would like a highly talented firefighter, FYI, if I'm, if I'm trying to deal with a fire in my house. I don't want just like the guy or the, or the woman who like did the bare bones. I want the person who like loves their job. But it's fascinating. We'll pay more for entertainment than we will security. That's just the way that human nature has shown up so far. Yeah. So for supply and demand, you can call it unfair. That's the beauty and that's the downside of capitalism. But what I find is people ignore the nature of the capitalist world that they do business in. And so I'm like, if you haven't done a market research as to how much the going rate is for the work that you do, uh, you know, when I hear someone who says, I'm an assistant and I'm an assistant to an executive and they make more money than me and I just think it's unfair. It's like there's a level of risk they decided to take on. There's And maybe they're a crappy executive, mm-hmm. but that role they figured out a role that they may be able to command more money for because there's higher risk levels. They're supposed to have different experience levels or skills or talents that society sees as harder to come by where for administrative, which first of all, I've had a bad assistant and I've had an amazing assistant and I would pay top dollar for an amazing assistant because they're going to grow your business faster than somebody who's bad at it. So I value that position. They're not as difficult to come by Um, from a supply and demand standpoint, because you don't need to invest in much as much experience. You might be naturally talented, but you you can apply for that job without necessarily um, having to have a long background. Now, here's the thing. You open up your own assistant service. Mm -hmm. Now you're a business owner. Now you're contracted, but you took on a greater amount of risk. And with that, increase the chance that you make more money, but but also increase the chance you'll make no money. That's the point. And it's just whatever level of risk you're you're ready to take on, what you're comfortable with as far as that continuum of, of aspiration versus fear. Yeah, and I think that's what the great thing is, is about our market today, is that there's there's such, because there's so many, the downside of this idea of like those organizations are doing layoffs and reorgs and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it sets people up to, they can kind of be their own business owner and set up their own shop if they want to. There's plenty of contract hire that there's services that they can do. Or they can continue to work inside. But when you work inside, you decrease the risk, but also decrease decrease the negotiation negotiation power. Outside, you increase the risk, but you also increase the chances that you won't make any money. There's no guarantee of stability. Uh, but when you when you say that that aspirational versus fear thing, I feel like that is that is constantly what people have to get really clear on. And I I read a book. I was honestly looking to find out what a real good man was. And there's this book called (laughs) The Way of the Superior Man 
uh, by David Data. And I, I think it's a great book. I honestly bought it because I was like, what kind? what is a superior man? Because I'm dating losers at the time. And um, <laughs> it turns out it's actually just a great book for humans in general. I found it very useful for myself as a woman. Like I didn't think, you know, I get it's gender based, but it really isn't. And at one point he says, you know, you have to, a superior man or what I like to think of as a human has to know how to play at the edge of the cliff of their fears. Hmm. And you can't let your fear keep you from the edge, but you can't let your ego push you over the edge beyond what you're capable of because you're trying to prove something. Oh, wow. And, and I was like, that's it. You know, and it, it kind of opened up the idea for me of like, what would I be doing if I was playing at the edge of my fears? And I feel like money, people don't really look at it that way, but everybody's got their own level of fear tolerance and aspirational tolerance. And some people are, you know, I think the ones that are the more fearless with it are those, you know, entrepreneurs who have, you know, started from from nothing and built a lot uh, of a fortune for themselves. Um, but I think that you have to be realistic. I found for myself, there's a level of risk and fear I can sit with. And there's a level that overwhelms me so much that the stress starts to impact my health and my well-being. Yes. And you're right. And the, the quality of life that you're living and trying to make this money for. So, yeah, there definitely it, understanding where your boundaries are on that continuum. And it really is a, a continuum of this aspiration versus fear. And that kind of leads me into one of the bricks on the pyramid of purpose that we've been touching on uh, and, and talking about the uh the concept of money being a resource, being a tool that gets you to the top of your pyramid, but is not the top of the pyramid itself. And there's a little bit uh, I wanted to talk about if if now's a good time for a money minute. Excellent. Excellent. Let's do money it. Minute. Um, so I've, uh, having worked, uh, with nonprofits, including, uh, junior achievement of greater Washington and creating some of my own curriculum for, uh, youth, uh, seventh and eighth graders and, uh, teens around the concept of financial literacy. Uh, it's really important for me, essentially teaching and, and trying to train, uh, junior high and high school students and, uh, the ghost of my past self. <laughs> I'll always try to train the ghost of my past self about financial literacy. Um, there's some curriculum uh, basics that I've, I've come up with that I'd love to kind of throw out in supplement to what we're talking about in terms of your career aspirations versus your career fears and how money and your use of the money that you're making plays into that. So, Oh, my God. I, I love this. And you know what's funny is years ago when you first started doing this, I huh. was like, you're teaching seventh and eighth graders this. Can I, can I listen? Because I know I grew up, we didn't teach that. We didn't learn that in school. I didn't grow up with, I grew up with very poor parents. So there, I, you know, I know my brother always says like, I know how to make more money, but he'll always have more money than me because he holds on to it longer. But there's just a, an element of, I want to feel intelligent with money and it's taken years to try to get my head and I'm still learning. So I think whatever you're teaching those seventh and eighth graders, it you know the adults need this. So yes, please, please share. Yeah, well, I, but that's an excellent point. This is part of the conversation too. Is that uh, for whatever reason, this has been a verboten concept. This is something that is not talked about in polite society. Not only how much do you make exactly, how much is in your bank account right now, but what are you supposed to do with your money? It's totally okay to have ostentatious. Um, factors of your wealth uh, on parade, but when you talk about like, well, how much is your car payment? Well, suddenly that's not cool to say. Um, so yeah, I find it a, a fascinating topic. Sometime we'll get into my uh, 
wonderful foibles about the first time I was offered a credit card and I signed up for an astronomical rate on a uh, on a credit card because they offered me a green one. And green is, <laughs> green is my color. And so, of course, I'm going to take that credit card. Uh, uh, I'll just slip in there that I took a Zales card just because they offered for you to draw out of a bunch of cubic zirconias. Yeah, that was a <laughs> wise first credit card for an 18 year old to start her future with. Yeah, that would have got me too. <laughs> well, so but that all that to say, I think it's important to, to start with the basics when you're trying to understand, OK, what is what is being smart with your money? What does a smart purchase look like? So really, every day we are moving our money around. And most of those days we are spending a lot or a little bit of our money. Uh, some days we're sitting down at the kitchen table and figuring out how much we're going to move into savings. And those are great days. And sometimes you can feel really good about yourself doing that. But more often than not, uh, we are watching it just fly out of our wallets. And so what is the idea behind being smart with your money? What does being smart with your money look like? And there's a lot of different ways um, that that can show up for you. Being smart with your money looks different, I believe, to every individual because at the base of it, and this is my mantra uh, for financial literacy, every financial decision is emotionally based. If you cut yourself that slack and realize that every decision you make about the money you have uh, is either rooted in a positive emotion or the avoidance of a negative emotion and you allow yourself to say, oh, okay, so there is not one a one size fits all idea for how this is supposed to go, you free yourself up to make wiser choices. So that being said, realizing that every investment, every expenditure is emotional, um, I'd love to walk everybody through just a real quick three question process that helps you tone, uh, focus in on what you're doing, the money that you're with the money that you're spending in that moment. So let's say you're facing a purchase. You're uh, you're in a shop, you're in a store, you're online, and you're considering a major purchase. First question I want you to ask yourself: Am I doing this for others or am I doing this for myself? And again, there is not a right or a wrong answer to this. So am I taking the reactions of other people seeing me spend this money into consideration? Um, if, if you are operating on the fear end of the continuum, which again is not bad because there is a safety in operating out of, uh, out of a certain level of fear uh, to make sure that you are keeping yourself safe via your money. So this could look like um, I'm, I'm kind of fear-based and I want to make sure I'm showing up for everybody the right way. Uh, I don't want to let down my cats by not bringing home their favorite wet food. So I'm going to decide whether this expenditure is going to make me look good to my cats. Uh, on the I love the church, first of all. First of all, <laughs> let's not let that little nugget slide. For those of you who uh, are not cat people, how dare you? And second of all, <laughs> uh, I absolutely consider my cat's view on my, my purchases and whether they're thrilled with me. So, yes, I can relate. <laughs> What kind of people are we if we're not thinking about how we show up to our pets? Uh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the aspirational side of the spectrum, and again, this is it's not wrong or right to be operating from this end of the spectrum. It is where you are in your emotional decision making at that moment. Um, 
you're you're thinking about a purchase thinking uh wait until i show up at work on monday with this fancy bag or i want to show up looking good to others via charitable giving i can't wait to drop this toys for tots toy in the uh in the toy bag in front of that uh super hot marine that is running the Toys for Tots drive, right? That's all about how we're showing up to other people. Does it mean that the decision is good or bad? No, but does that feel authentic? Does that feel right to you for for what your decision-making process is in that moment? Are you truly making this expenditure as a way that's going to benefit somebody that you care about, that's going to help long-term, either you or someone else? If it's helping your cats, you goddamn do it, right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay, so that's question one. Am I doing this for others? Or am I doing this for myself? Next thing, is this the best way to do this? And now this is, again, this is going to sound like I'm advocating that you spend more money. I'm just advocating that you think about the right way to use this purchase that you're facing. Sometimes the right decision for you in order to get the maximum amount of value out of the purchase that you're making is not to go for the cheapest item. Sometimes it is. Sometimes sometimes a cheap $3 pair of sunglasses that you get at the CVS uh, work just as well as uh, the Gucci frames that you pick up, you know, well, and I sit on country. all my sunglasses, so I'm like, to pay for a lot of money for sunglasses is a bad investment on my part. But you know what, I, you know what I love That's... about that? What I love about that is, is I had a situation where when you say the best way to do this, and it's combined with your other one of thinking what others think, mm-hmm. is I have a one-bedroom condo, and I would spend every Sunday doing like a three- to four-hour deep clean because I like things to start off in the week deep clean. And um, someone pointed out to me, is like, Sunday is the day that I get most of my work done, you know, like I get kind of caught up for the week and I get set, set, stuff set up and they're like, you're spending four hours doing that. You could pay someone a cleaning service and that's minimal compared to how much money you could be making using those four hours for work or rejuvenating so that you're really keyed in the next week. So I actually spent money that I felt bad about. So I'm like, oh, who am, how lazy am I? I've got a one bedroom condo and they're coming in to clean it. But it was the best money that I've ever spent because it relieves my stress it gives frees up my time. I actually have time to like relax and recharge before the week starts. Uh, but it's 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 me spending more money versus saving it. Right. But you're spending in in that example too. I believe you were kind of saying like that is the time that you were spending. Like you would do it on the weekends where that is your some of your prime uh, thinking and strategizing and actual work time. And so that frees you up to make more money ultimately because you have spent this nominal amount of money having having your house cleaned, which is of total value. I you're you're making me think that maybe that's a worthwhile investment for me at this point too. I highly recommend it for everybody. And I don't have kids. I've got two cats. Trust me, the two cats it's worth cleaning up after. Oh, I gotta yeah, I gotta start rebudgeting. That sounds that sounds like a dream. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so that's, um, I've got a similar situation. That's a perfect example of the best ways to, uh, to spend your money. I was, uh, I had an example where I was, I was, it was a goal of mine for personal and professional reasons to learn to speak Spanish. Uh, and I was debating, you know, I'm going to end up spending money on this venture no matter any way I slice it. So what is the best use of the money that I'm willing to spend? So I ended up looking at Rosetta Stone. It's one of those, you know, it's training in a box, which is fantastic. It's convenient. I know from my own personal motivations, 
I'm going to spend money on the, on that box. I'm never going to take the software out. I'm never going to install it. I will never sit down and use it. I've just spent, you know, $300, $450 on a box. As opposed to uh, spending money in tuition to go to a community college and take classes where I have to show up and be accountable to people for the work that I'm supposed to be doing on the weekly. And again, keeping in mind that I care about what others think about me. I don't want to sound like a dunce when I do show up, so I'm probably going to do the homework. And that keeps me accountable, and that is a better use of my dollars towards this goal. Um, again, sometimes it is about the cheapest option because the difference in value is not meaningful to you, but when it is and there's a strategy around spending more money, don't feel bad about spending that much more money if it gets you to your goal. Again, just like you were saying, Heather, money towards a goal. Money is a brick in the pyramid. It is not the top of the pyramid. It's a, it's a utilization to get to your goal. Yeah, and I, I love that you're just you're you're emphasizing it all comes down to value. What value are you getting out of it? And if you're mm -hmm. just mindlessly purchasing something or doing it because others are doing it, you're how do you determine value? Well, if you're if it's aligning with your purpose in any way, that's how you figure out if it's valuable. And what's valuable to you is gonna be different than what's valuable to me. Right, exactly, which is why this is such this is not a one size fits all. There are some wonderful financial strategists in this world. There's Clark Howards and Susie Ormans all over the goddamn place and they know what they're talking about. And it's very helpful to pick up strategies and tips and tricks, but when it comes down to it, you could follow somebody else's prescription for your financial well-being your entire life and still end up feeling unfulfilled or um or cheated. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, because it really wasn't following what you wanted your money to do for you, what what the value was to get out of your life via this tool that you've been given. So it's really important to listen to that inner voice. I know I'm going to sound totally Oprah, but it really is important to listen to that, uh, <laughs> to, to follow your inner guidance uh, when it comes hey, to money. Hey, talk, talk about a person that knew how to make money work for her or that knows how to make money work for her. So by all means, reference Oprah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oprah's my financial planner. I'm, I'm looking right, at everything Oprah right. does. She's, she's happy about everything she's spending her money on. She's got yeah. her favorite things. I got, I got my favorite things. <laughs> um, right, so and that brings me to the third question I, I uh, want you to ask when you're thinking about your, your next big or small purchase, just to kind of check in with your process. Am I doing this for me or for others? Is this the best way to spend this money on this venture? And then the third one that I'm going to throw out there is, will this stress me out? Am I setting myself up for more fear later on by making this decision now? So uh, it could be a big purchase. It could be, can I buy this car and still make my rent comfortably every week? Uh, and that is a question of, am I willing to spend this much money to put me in fear of losing money and that financial stability? Oh my God, what if I run out of money? Or it doesn't necessarily end up being money-shaped, this fear that you're addressing. Sometimes it is social. Sometimes it is accountability. Uh, bringing it back. If I only buy one can of cat food at the store right now instead of doing the five for ten, <laughs> am I going to run out before I get out to the store the next time and now my cat hates me? That is not something you want held over your head. This is a pressure I live with daily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? So you know this what's is funny? a fear-based decision and that's okay. Yeah. But right, well, so you know what's funny is, is, is like I think of like my car purchases. I do purchase a car that kind of pushes me to go, I, I, I love cars. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it pushes me to go, I need to elevate my game because I'm that brick, that money brick is always kind of up there for me. I'm like, how do I elevate my game so I can afford this type of car? And that's helped me oddly push my capacity. But I've not been that way when it comes to purchasing homes. I read a long time ago in, um, I think it's a, it's a great basic book is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, mm-hmm. Because I grew up with poor parents. And then that concept of rich, you know, poor people kind of focus on how to make money with their, t- with their time and service and how to spend it responsibly. But rich people also go how to make work money work for you yeah. and and to to do the things to your point that you're comfortable with in terms of risk. And I know cars. I don't know real estate. So I've not. And as much as cars don't return the the investment on uh, me buying a ton of real estate, I think would be a recipe for disaster for me. So I, I, I think that knowing what's going to set you up to kind of push you to that edge of your fears, like like I mentioned before, yeah. but not your ego where you go, I should have this because that's what responsible or popular or rich people do. So I'm going to do it. And then it pushes you beyond what you can really handle. That's a fantastic distinction. And we're going to talk uh, in subsequent money minutes about investment and uh, some of the ways that you can make that money that you've chosen to put aside uh, work for you in ways that make sense towards uh, towards your values and what you're actually aspiring to do. So that's a that's a perfect, uh, oh, great. perfect little teaser for some future money minutes. I love it, and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for that because I also feel like that the more you know, money should really buy you freedom in my book, uh, so that you can do the work that you love and you're not always stuck having to 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 settle for work simply because it provides you the paycheck and. I know that that may sound like a luxury to to some of the people listening. I know it used to sound like a luxury to me, but I think if you get real about that, embrace that that's a possibility and start to get strategic and savvy around it, um, there's a lot that you can do that frees you up to do the work that you want to. Um, Well, thank you, uh, Katie, for that. I can't wait for the next session. And thank you for everyone that's tuned in to listen. I want to just throw out another mention to... um, uh, the books that we that I referenced from some other authors that I think are worth a pickup, which is David Data's um, A Way of the Superior Man. Uh, by all means, ladies, don't feel put off by the title. It's, it's just a good overall human book. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is another great one. And then I also want to throw out, because you're talking about stepping back and thinking about your money decisions. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a great book. Um, called, uh, let me pull this up because I want to get it right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, the Willpower Instinct, and uh, it's it's about how self-control works and how do you set yourself up so you can kind of sit back and make the decisions that you were talking about. You know, is this for somebody else or is this for me? Is this the, you know, um, is this the best way to do it? And is this the right amount of risk? And it's by Kelly McGonigal, and it's The Willpower Instinct. And honestly, she's got great stuff in there about money, um, health, diet, but it's all about how the brain handles being able to sit back and make decisions strategically versus reactively. So recommend that one as well. Uh, so we want to hear from you too. Uh, if you have a question for, uh, for Heather or for me or a story you want to share that has to do with anything we've talked about, or if you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind, uh, or tell us what you think, please come tell us what you think. Uh, you can find us at uh, LMTP Consulting on Twitter, at LMTP Consulting. Uh, message us on Instagram, Low Man on the Totem Pole. Email us, lmtppodcast at gmail.com. And sign up for the Low Man on the Totem Pole newsletter at lowmanonthetotempole.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to hit you in two weeks with another episode. And we're looking forward to it. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Have an awesome couple of weeks. We'll see you soon. See you next time.